You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team, Sarah team. Thank you so much for leading us so amazingly this morning. It is my pleasure and privilege to be bringing the word today. Um, uh, We've been in a series uh, called um, Standing Together, the Heart of God. And this is week two. And uh, last week, we, uh, Pastor Martin, introduced the series to us. And and in this week, uh, the idea of standing together, in fact, comes from taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verse 9 to 10, where John the Apostle um, was caught up to heaven in a vision and saw together before the throne of God great multitudes that no one could count uh, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And, and the following uh, last year, the, the killing of George Floyd in the summer of, of last year, this idea for scripture of, of, of people of all nations, tribes, and languages standing together has taken on an even greater significance for the leadership of CLM and has helped us to begin a journey of looking how we might first seek to listen and to learn from the diverse community of believers that make up our CLM church family in order that we might better understand and offer our support to those among us who have had to deal with racial inequalities and injustices and also to be prepared to stand with those who continue to face racism in our society today. And, and last week, uh, Pastor Martin opened up the series by bringing a message on the heart of God for justice um, and highlighted for us that the biblical idea of justice is to do what's right and to put things right to do what's right and to put things right. And that our God is a God of justice. Um, Now, this week's message is entitled, Standing Together, the Heart of God for All Nations. Um, Standing Together, the Heart of God for All Nations. Now, there are 195 um, countries in the world today, according to the UN, over 40 of which are represented in this church. This total of 100 comprises 193 countries that are member states of the United Nations and two countries that are non-member observer states. That's the Holy See, Vatican City, and the state of Palestine. These 195 nations are affiliated to the UN and recognized as independent nations by every organization in the world, while about 50 other nations or thereabouts claim to be independent territories. So uh, there are huge number of nations represented around the world, and we have a great number of those represented here today. So, um, and if you read the King James Version of the Bible, the word nation, in fact, appears, nation appears 145 times, uh, and the word nations appears 336 times. So as we read the scriptures, we will note that God has a lot of dealings with nations uh, throughout the Bible. It is therefore relevant to ask what the word nation means in the context of scripture. Um, It does not seem to have the same meaning as the English word for country, which usually denotes a place of fixed borders um, and stable government, but rather the idea of a people or nationality. 
So when the Bible talks about nations, it's really referring to a people group or nationality as opposed to a particular country, not like Australia or New Zealand or wherever it may be. So when we look at this subject today, we're really talking about a, a people group, uh, nations as, uh, uh, as people rather than a particular location. Now, uh, this brings me to the main text that I'll be speaking from this morning, which is taken from the book of Acts chapter 17, from verses 22 to 28. So, um, Acts 17, 22 to 28. But as you turn to the scripture, please allow me just to uh, set some context before reading these verses for us this morning. Now, the location of the text is Mars Hill, which is the Roman name for a hill in Athens, Greece, called the Hill of Ares, um, or the Areopagus, Areopagus, sorry. The Athenians, um, the native residents of Athens, thought of themselves as the best city-state in all ancient Greece. Uh, they recognized that the other city-states had value and were Greek, but they were the best. Um, they ask any ancient Athenian, and they will tell you that Athens had the best literature, um, the best poetry, the best drama, the best schools, and they were truly a leading state. Um, uh, many other city-states compared themselves to Athens, in fact. You'd hear people from other city-states say things like, our schools are good as those in Athens. Athens was the measuring stick in all of Greece. Education was, in fact, very important in Athens. And rising some 377 feet above the land below, uh, um, uh, and not far from the Acropolis and Agora, which is the market, Mars Hill served as the meeting place for the Arapagus court, the Rapacus court, pardon me, the highest court in Greece for civil, criminal, and religious matters. Even under Roman rule in the time of the New Testament, Mars Hill remained an important meeting place where philosophy, religion, and law were discussed. And although the city of Athens was proliferated with gods, the ancient Greeks believed that each city-state had one or two gods keeping a special eye um, on that city. And the god in charge of Athens was Athena, uh, the goddess of wisdom. Now, the apostle Paul is on his second missionary journey and arrived in Athens and found a city given over to idols. And Paul began presenting the gospel to both Jews and Gentiles. He started by reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshippers there, and also proclaimed the gospel in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. And it was while at the marketplace that Paul encountered some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers who, having heard Paul proclaim the resurrected Jesus Christ, wanted to learn more about this new doctrine he was teaching. So they brought him to the Arapagus, Arapagus to hear more from him. Um, this is where we take up our story, and we're reading now from Acts 17, from verses 22 to 28. And this is what it says, reading from the NIV version. It says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. The original Greek here says, I saw that you were given over, giving glory to idols. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found an altar in, with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as, as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him 
and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live, move, and have our being. As some of your own prophets, prophets have said, poets, pardon me, have said, we are his offspring. Now, principal verse that I want to bring our attention to this morning is Acts 17, 26, which says, from one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. The Greek word translated nations in this verse is ethnos, is where we get our word ethnic from, um, and it means nations or peoples. God created every ethnos. Did you hear that? Uh, God is the originator of man. Uh, and, uh, Pastor Jack Arnold in his commentary on Acts 17, 26 says the following. It says, we know that this is a scientifically sound statement for science admits today that there is only one race of man, one species, Homo sapiens. Despite differences of pigment, stature and features in the human race, all men came from one source. This statement was a real blow to the Athenians' racial pride. They thought themselves superior to all men because they were Greeks who spoke the Greek language and, uh, and all others were barbarians. The Athenians also felt themselves superior to all Greeks that, uh, because they believed that they evolved from the soil of the Athenian land. Paul said that these Athenians were not some special segment, section of humanity but were made of the same stuff as the rest of mankind. All kinds of racial prejudices are shot down in this one verse. Hitler thought the Germans were the super race. Some whites think that they are superior to blacks. Racial prejudice is a horrible sin and one of the hardest attitudes to break, end quote. The Athenians claimed to be the enlightened ones. They, they thought because they were born in Athens and were educated and spoke Greek that they were special and that anyone who didn't speak Greek were barbarians. The idea of, um, and practice of any form of discrimination uh, and prejudice or racism against people of different nationalities or ethnicity from, us, uh, from ourselves is so against the very nature of God and scripture. We see nowhere where God discriminates against any group, any individual, any, regardless of your background or culture, we are all his children. This is an amazing truth. I mean, um, I have experienced, I've, I've shared here in this platform before, my personal journey of facing uh, racial prejudice growing up in the East End of London. And um, confounding as that was, because I could not understand why um, I was treated differently um, by others who didn't look like me. Um, and, and I'm sure that it's experienced for a number of people in this room as well. Uh, but it is my faith and my knowledge in Jesus Christ and the knowledge that he is my father and creator that allowed me to, to be able to put to aside the discriminations that I faced and recognize that those individuals like the Athenians of their time didn't quite understand that we are one and the same family. They just didn't get it. They, just, they thought somehow, because they had a different pigmentation from me, that they were special and I was not. And um, the reality is, no, you're not that special. Uh, uh, surprise, surprise, we're all the same. Uh, we come from one stock, one uh, cloth that God used to create all of us, and we are one human race. 
All nations come from the one source. Amen? That's a wonderful truth. Now, John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't just love a particular group. He loved everyone and gave his life for the entire world that we may come to the knowledge of truth that we are his children and he seeks a relationship with all of us. Does that make sense? So this, this idea of um, people us discriminating against one another is abhorrent to the Lord and it's, a, it's also against scripture and against his character and nature. And uh, it's important for us to know this. Now, 1 John 2, 9 to 11 says this, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. This is a truth. I have this, all the people in front of me here in this congregation and those who could not make it today are my family and my brothers and sisters. doesn't matter what color they are, what background they are, what height they are, what their native language is. We're peoples. I love these people. They're my people. I'd fight for these people. I'd defend them because they're my family. And they love me too, right? There you go. Just for those at home who are uncertain about that truth. So we're fa sometimes, apparently, we're family. And we're family because we've been united through our love for Jesus Christ and his love for us. And he has knit our hearts together in a way that's supernatural. When I first came to this ministry uh, about four or five years ago, uh, probably a little bit longer now, and one of the things that struck me most about CLM was its community, its fellowship, its sense of uh, um, love for one another. It was a, one of the first things that struck me here. And it was such a powerful impact that it had upon me that I ended up staying here because I felt at home here with the people here. And I know that I'm loved here. Amen? Um, and it's a wonderful feeling to feel at home in a place. It's, a, it's not my original city. I didn't come from Coventry. I came from London, one of the greatest cities in the world, in my opinion. But I, I live here. I moved here because God has knit my heart with your hearts. And now I consider this place to be my home. And it wasn't because of the city the land, the, the, uh, uh, particularly the, the location, it was because of the people. The people, the nations that God has brought together in this assembly that make me feel at home. Are you with me? So I want to highlight a few points before I come to the end of this message. And this is the first point I want to raise. Um, Number one, all mankind is made in the image and likeness of God. When the Apostle Paul states um, that from one man he made all the nations, he is, of course, referring to the first man, our father after the flesh, Adam. And in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, it says this, And God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, and he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. God made from one man every nation so that we all come, came from Adam and Eve. 
So we have a picture of all the nations of all kinds of different people groups that have come from one man. So we're a part of the same race, the human race, yet we have different ethnicities, we have different languages, different cultural backgrounds, but you are all made by God, and God has determined allotted periods and boundaries for our dwelling. We come from the same cloth. We are all come out of Adam. When we, Adam was in the garden and Eve was in the garden and God spoke to them and blessed them, he blessed you because you were in him at the time that he blessed him. So all that God said when he said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, he was speaking to you as well as Adam and Eve. We're all from the same source. Amen? All right. Uh, number two, we are one family of faith. In the same way that we can all claim Adam as our father after the flesh, likewise, Abraham, uh, we have Abraham as a father of faith who became the father of nations because he believed in the promises of God that God gave to him that he would have a son despite his old age. Genesis 12 verses 1 to 3 says this, the Lord uh, said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I show you, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make you a great name, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And in chapter 17, um, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me. Uh, faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell that face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be um, Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. When we choose to believe in Jesus Christ, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we have become the descendants of Abraham. Abraham believed God. Abraham was an um, old man, him and Sarai, living in the land of Ur and had no children. Um, Sarah was barren and God called him out and said, come out from your peoples, come out from that land and I'll take you to a place that you've never been before and I will make you a nation. A guy that had no children in his old days and he had probably given up on, the, on the, the prospect of ever having children. God says to him, if you believe me, I'm going to make you a nation. And I'll bless all nations through you. God says to us today, those of us who are in this space, we are what? The believers. Amen? We believed what we heard. We believed the message that of God through Jesus Christ. And because we believed him, we become the descendants of Abraham because he was the first believer. Is that right? So now as we are the say of the same family of Abraham, because we did what Abraham did, we believed God. Is that right? So we are also family, and this is what Romans 4, 16 to 17 says, Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, talking of the Israelites, but also those who have faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. When a child is adopted, 
His birth certificate changes to reflect that as a matter of law, he receives the same right to the inheritance of any natural born child. The parents listed on the certificate are now the adopting parents, not the biological parents. The boy is to be treated exactly as if he had been theirs from the very first day, no matter how old he actually was when adopted. In the scriptures, the same concept is applied to citizenship. We have been adopted into the family of God. And the same rights and the same inheritance that Abraham and his descendants, natural descendants have, we have also. Oh my goodness. That's a place to rejoice. Yeah? We are descendants of Abraham. We have a family as well. We belong to the family of Abraham and to the blessings. So Galatians 3, 26 to 29 says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Did you hear that? In Christ Jesus, we are all children of God through faith. For all who were baptized into Christ have closed themselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave or free. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is what the word of the Lord says, that because we have accepted Jesus Christ and put him on, that all the other things that separated us and differentiated us have dissipated and disappeared so that we become one in him. This is, doesn't mean that God is not interested in our cultural backgrounds or, or who we are as individuals, whether we are black or white, whether we are Asian, whether we speak um, Punjabi or whether we speak um, uh, Jamaican Patois. Yeah, whatever the language is that you speak, God is interested in that. He is interested in that. And calls all of us nature. So he, the, the birth of the church rep, tells us that and reveals that to us, doesn't it? When the, the Holy Spirit comes down and acts to, um, there were nations uh, represented in the entire city. And everybody got to hear the message in their own tongue. So God is interested in the differences. But he says that your differences gets absorbed into the Christ. So all of a sudden, the things that made you different, now you have the oneness that becomes our faith in Jesus Christ. Does that, that make sense? This is really good. So that's the, my second point. My third point is we are now the Go Kadosh. The Goi Kadosh. It's Hebrew for those who don't speak Hebrew fluently like me. All right? The Goi Kadosh. Yeah? Following their deliverance from Pharaoh and Egyptian slavery, God brings the Israelites to the foot of Mount Sinai. And in Exodus 19, verses 5 to 6, he reveals to them how he sees them and his plans for their future. This is what it says. It says, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, uh, you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. This verse implies that God makes these people into his holy nation. His goy kadosh. This is what the word means, holy nation. So the real determination is God's choice, not genetics. God makes a decision. He says, you, you're my Goy Kadosh. You, you're my Goy Kadosh. You. He decides. God points a finger and says, you are my family. You're my holy nation. You're my set-apart nation. If he wanted to know whether or not you're valuable or not, or special enough, God says to you, oh yeah, you are. I've set you apart. You're special to me. 
You may not have had that experience. You may not have known that in your life, in your story. Others may have put you down, but God says, no, I'm going to put you up. You belong to me. You're my Goy Kadosh. You're my special set-apart ones. Oh, this is wonderful. This is what Paul, Peter, pardon me, in, in, second, in 1 Peter 2, 2, 9 to 10, he echoes this revelation. The apostle Peter understood this. And when he echoed these words written in Exodus, spoken to the Israelites, he now writes to the Gentile church and says these words, but you are a chosen people, a royal peace, priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Oh my goodness. This is what the, the revelation that Peter is getting, that you and I are now the Goi Kadosh. We are the special ones, the set-apart ones. We are a nation of set-apart people here to display the glory of God to others. Oh, my goodness. Isn't God good? Yes, he is. You can clap for him if you wish. Right? Now, that's why the Apostle Paul can thrust away the world's classifications in, in, in this passage. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, I read earlier, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, blah, blah, blah. Why? Because in these verses, the Apostle Paul is saying, now, because we are Christians, we, lose our, we, our we do not lose our individuality or our, our sexual identity or ethnicity or cultural diversity, but rather he is saying, regardless of your social status, regardless of where you were born, regardless of whether you are male or female, black, brown or white, we are united through our faith in Christ as, there is, uh, as such there is no distinction or hierarchical superiority. We are one. Every follower of Yeshua is part of the Goy Kadosh. All other distinctions are cast aside. And this is my final point. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Um, we must be a light to the nations. The Apostle Paul walked around the city and he saw the gods of Athens, the idols that were being worshipped. And one of the ancient writers tells us that th at this time, there were about 30,000 gods in Athens at this time. 30,000 different gods that they worshipped in Athens at that time. Uh, uh, Petronius, one of the ancient historians, said that, this was, that it was easier to find a god in Athens than a man. That's how many gods that they had. Now, Paul felt an unease within himself when he saw the city given over to idolatry. And each idol reveals that these men and women of Athens had a great capacity for God, they knew there was something beyond man and they were seeking for it. But each idol also reveals a twisting, a distortion of that capacity, a sabotaging of it. So they showed through their desire to, or recognition that they could not do life by themselves. There was something outside of themselves that they needed and, so, and sought that out in idolatry, in worshipping other gods. So they knew that they in themselves, no matter what they, um, who the, how educated they were, how bright they were, how, what they felt about their, their cultural identity, they realized by worshiping idols that there was something beyond themselves they needed. But they were confused about what that was. And Paul came in to say, it's not all of those 30,000 gods. It's one God. That's what you need. Yeah. And in Acts um, 17, 
uh, again to reiterate Acts 17, 26 to 28, it says, from one man he made all nations that they should inherit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their gods, their lands, pardon me. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. God is very near. Um, every, he's very near to every man because he is everywhere present. If men will but seek him, they will find him. And you will seek, and, and Jeremiah 29, 13 says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Matthew 28, the, the great commission of the church. This is what the verse says. I'm going I'm to finish on this point. It says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The, fi the final thing that Jesus tells his disciples for departing back to heaven is you need to go and reach the nations for me. There are, just like Paul was willing to do by traveling on missionary journeys as, uh, as far and wide as he could to preach this message and declare to the nations that actually as, as many gods that you may serve uh, and bow down to, there's only really one God. And his name is Jesus Christ, the resurrected one. It is our job as believers to not just be satisfied that we have the message and the good news, but we must take that good news and tell someone else. Paul was willing to, be confr to confront the idolatry that he saw, where there was the, the, and, the, and, the, and the, the prejudice and the racism that, that he experienced in that city. He, he, he tackled it head on because he wanted them to know the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. It is our responsibility as believers today, those of us in the space and those of us watching from home, to recognize that although we are the set-apart nation, we have been set apart to bring the gospel to the nations. Let me encourage us today. Let's stand together as I pray. It's important for us to recognize that God is a God of justice, but it's also important for us to recognize that God is a God of all nations. You've come from many nations to be gathered in this place today, but it's not enough for you to find truth. It's also important for you to, to bring that truth back to the nations that you came from and to the, the sphere of influence that God has brought you into, allow you to be able to speak into lives around the world. So I'm going to pray that Father gives us boldness. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to be your agents in the earth. We are the set-apart nation to bring a message about the set-apart God who wants to reach the world. And so, Father, I pray that you will now baptize your church with boldness to declare the truth in every sphere of influence that you place us in, Father. That we may, like Paul, seek out to rid the world of the idolatrous worship and let them point them who are in the dark to the light, the light that is Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you for this today. And for those who are in this room and those who are watching who do not yet know you, we pray that they will, their eyes will be open and that they will finally know that they are loved and that they have been set apart to also be a part of the Gol Kadosh. So we pray and we thank you for this, Lord God. 
And we give you honor and praise, King of glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.